and social justice and works of mercy and acts of charity and, and justice, right, are one side of the fullest thing. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by Dave, the Navy Seal of Sitting Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? The Navy Seal of what? Of sitting. Sitting? I never get <laughs> to sit. sit. You never get to sit? I don't know. Every time I talk to you, you're always sitting, oh, but you're really yeah. good at it. Yeah. All right. That's cool. <laughs> okay. We'll go with that. That's cool. I hope, I hope it was very clear that I said sitting sitting and not sinning <laughs> yeah or or that or that unfortunately it's else. the other one uh <laughs> yeah i'm doing well uh you know the weather is finally just beautiful up here and you know i have i set up this amazing gym in my carport because my house is too small so i knew if i took any corners of the house it would be just a nightmare and now i have the most amazing gym i call it the clubber lang gym for men and you're welcome to get a <laughs> membership there if you ever come up here to pittsburgh um how much are the fees well i mean i think since you know the owner i could i could hook you up a little bit but nice nice but the personal training is definitely going to cost you Um, okay fair enough (laughs) what about you what's going on down there uh i just recorded three videos for that man is you oh okay uh yeah they're based here out of houston and their studios are yeah their studios are yeah they're about 45 minutes away so uh, Mark Hartfield reached out to me and he's like, we got Dr. Scott Hahn, Dr. Mark Miravalli and Dr. Bergsma recording a bunch of episodes. Would you like to be on it too? And I was like, uh, heck yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, not with all those other people. Right. And they had already filmed them before the COVID stuff. So I was the last one and I did the last, more or less like the last talks. And uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. It was pretty interesting. So I drove down there. They're all socially distancing and they have minimal staff and all this <laughs> stuff. They're like, we got rid of the, or let me rephrase that. Um, unfortunately, the person who manages the green room stuff isn't here. Oh. And I was like, oh, you mean I'm not going to be pampered? And they're like, oh, no, we'll put makeup on you. <laughs> oh, so I had funny. makeup put on me and recorded three videos in about three hours. It's pretty, pretty intense. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's draining, man. That's draining yeah. to do that to like a whole day of recording. That's cool. Hey, we got a like an awesome email. And actually, it's the kind of email that you and I got into this podcast for. Um, yep. It's like I I'm I get fired up by emails by, by this. So it's from Father Timothy. And uh, he says, thanks so much for your fervor for evangelization. You're welcome, Father. Thank you for your uh, your gift to the church. Uh, his friend and he are about to tackle a new parish assignment, and the parish is very active, extremely active, but not evangelized, okay? And the parish is actually known for its fervor for social justice issues, and they do an incredible job serving the poor and marginalized, um, but their Catholicism and their interior life is on the back burner. He said, there's very much a large contingent of parishioners who have committed wholeheartedly to all the social ministries of the parish, but they never come to Sunday Mass, and they have an issue with the, quote, church, unquote. They fulfill the Sunday obligation by serving uh, the poor. My question is, how do I evangelize this very large and significant group of people? Are there programs and methods that instill 
real gospel message in the midst of their ministries. There is an amazing foundation of social justice fervor with these people, but the soul of the apostolate is not present. Love the language you're using, Father. That's great. How do I make disciples and not just social workers? Thanks so much again. My priest, Boro, and I have been listening to your podcast as a foundation of what we want to instill at our new parish assignment, Father Tim. So uh, awesome. I mean, this is exciting because yeah, is, I like awesome. I love to hear active. I mean, I don't love to hear not evangelized, but I if I'm going to go to a parish, you don't want to hear dead, right? No. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I like yeah. active, but not evangelized is something you can work with, don't you think? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Because they're they're they're. Their activity is in the right place. It's about right. redirecting their intentionality. Right. Right. So I guess I, I would have a few just starting points, uh, Father, and, and and this is what I would say. I would say um, the f- number one thing is you better be leading the charge in those, uh, in those social justice outreaches, okay? So you or your priest friend should show up at all of them. You should be feeding the poor. You should be caring for the sick. You should be doing all the things that they can do, right, that they do, and you should be in the trenches with them so that, they, so that you start to gain credibility. Um, and secondly, I would, I would and, and some people are going to call this semantics, and probably I'll even get some criticism for this, but I would try and change the, the message from social justice to works of mercy. So when you are complimenting your parish, instead of saying social justice, I would say, you know, it's so awesome that you're performing these works of mercy. And and I know this sounds like a simple thing, but language means something, right? And when Catholics perform these kinds of acts, it's a work of mercy, and mercy flows from the heart of our merciful Jesus, right? And so it starts to make that connection of where where do we become merciful? How do we receive mercy so that we can then give mercy? And it starts to make those, those, those connections, though distant they may be, it starts to make these little connections for people to say, oh, yeah, it's not just justice, it's mercy, right? Um, uh, and mercy uh, we should show because I've been shown mercy, and I've been shown mercy by many people, but also someone else, and that is namely my Savior, Jesus Christ, right? I mean, this is going to be something you're going to make over, over years, but I would start in those places. What, what, what would you jump out to, Gomer? So for those who believe that they have served the Sunday obligation by serving the poor, yeah. um, you know, the church always encourages works of mercy to be done following the, the lesson of our blessed Lord who repeatedly did things on, you know, healings and works of mercy on, on the Sabbath and was attacked for it. Um, and then the church has always said, you know, in terms of work, you may always work if it's a work of mercy. Um, and so looking at it from this perspective of Sunday obligation, I know a lot of Roman Catholics struggle with the idea of every week and every day, every holy day of obligation as something that is really within the realm of mortal sin. So when you're teaching, another aspect of this is re-centering the work that we do within the context first of grace. So Christ has graced me. So it's similar to what you were saying, like I've received mercy, therefore I can give mercy. And also centering it on um, this understanding of who God in his grandeur is. See, I think one of the things that we forget is we it, it becomes easy about the horizontal service for people who have that kind of mindset and personality. Doing the horizontal service can um, 
almost relieve us of our duty to worship God. Yeah. Oh, I think God wants us to, you know, would rather have me worshiping the poor or serving the poor than, you know, being stuck in some old church or whatever. And the reality is, yeah, if being stuck in some old church is all you're doing, but if you're entering into the prayer of the Son to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, saying thank you for all the great and abundant gifts that God has given us, a.k.a. the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, I think that recontextualized the very idea of what we're doing. Like, if they say my Sunday obligation is being fulfilled by serving the poor, um, you know, after all, this is what Jesus did. I'm just acting like Jesus. And it's like, okay, but Jesus wants you not just to imitate him in this one area. He wants you to take on the full life of Christ. And the only way you can do that is by worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. And social justice and works of mercy and acts of charity and and justice, right, are one side of the fullest thing. And so much of our work can remain sterile because uh, maybe we can influence these people to say, you have your heart is in the right place, but God wants to amplify your efforts, but you're not giving it over to God, right? And that using quoting the soul of the apostle, it's so funny because he says in there, we do the works of God without the spirit of God. And the idea of drawing ourselves first coming to the feet of the master before we go out and do service, that's the proper orientation of the Christian life. First come, come, then go, go, as Fulton Sheen says. Yeah. Amazing. And and I think that the way you're going to have, I think you're going to have to look at this long term, Father. I mean, honestly, I really do. Um, Because probably what you're going to run into, and I don't know, I mean, every parish is different, but probably what you're going to run into is that there are stalwart leaders for each group. And so I would start with the leaders. I would invite them in constantly for meals, if you could. I would invite them in constantly for meals and try your best to evangelize those people. Uh, you don't want to walk in and, and make enemies right away. Um, and and if you can if, if really, truly evangelize those people, and, and you know, t- to Gomer's point, what you're, what you're trying to say to them, the case you're trying to make to them is this, you're doing awesome serving the poor. Imagine what you could do if you were doing it supernaturally. Imagine what you were doing if you could, what you could do if you were doing it with the power of God. And, and they might say, like, well, we already have the power of God. We're doing God's works. But you you can make that argument that, like, no, 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 everything is born in prayer. Everything is born in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and I think starting to really try to put perspective to that, that they can do nothing, right? We are the brought, we are, he is the vine, we are the branches, that we can do nothing without him is what you want to do. Now, the next thing you mentioned is uh, you, you made a comment about they have issues with the quote church unquote. Um, I- I'm guessing those issues are probably the same issues that most social justice oriented parishes have. And so, what I would say to you is this: a really good sacramental theology is is a really great place to start here. And if, if people aren't coming, they might not come to your your um, series or something that you're putting on. But put on some things that you can start educating the parish on, right? And and I would start again. Um, by inviting the leaders, doing your very best to invite the leaders. And when you invite them, say, hey, can you can you do me a favor? Could you invite people to this series next week? I think people are really going to like it. And, and I would also go out of your way 
to point out what a great job they're doing in these different outreaches that they have. So I, I would really go out of your way to, to loud them on that so that they know that you appreciate this, right? A, a, a Christianity that is solely contemplative is not what we're looking for. We're looking for you know, aura et labora. We want both, right? And so uh, you want to loud the good things and then try to guide them, just very slowly nudge them back. And and honestly, the way you're going to do that is by gaining some credibility in their eyes. Yeah. And if you have people that are socially justice oriented, outward oriented, charity oriented, you're in a good place because so few people are. You know, C.S. Lewis has right. a great line, outside of the Eucharist, my neighbor is the next holiest thing I'll ever encounter. And the idea of having people who are in love with loving their neighbor as themselves is pretty amazing. And I think the Holy Spirit is already at work in their hearts. Um, however, this is where, now this is where I come in on my hobby horse. And my hobby horse, I guess, I don't know, Dave, would you say I'm kind of stereotypically this way as I always find a way to talk about repentance? Yeah. Um, that's like my thing. I oh, I try to strategically guilt people into repenting just kidding but um, or nerd stuff like nerd culture how dare you how no <laughs> no kidding you know i totally forgot that we were meeting on right now and uh, that's why i was late to our, our session because <laughs> i was gonna go to best buy and see how much a new gaming computer would cost me <laughs> anywho anywho um so you have this this uh modality like within these people like they're in the mode of service 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 so here is my act of repentance they might be in the mode of service 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 but so often, right, the people who serve are doing it. There's still elements of sinful self-corruption and self-exaltation. So what I mean by that is preaching sermons that as we talk or, or even having discussions or, or gathering them for prayer before they open up the soup kitchen or whatever it might be, the idea of what is my intention and what is my ulterior motive? Am I here out of a passionate self-disinterest to serve those, to serve Christ in the poor? Or am I here to feel good about myself that I'm not one of those Christians who never commingle <laughs> with the poor, right? Right, Like looking for areas of repentance. And so one of the ways that I do this is when I lead prayer for an event, I look around, and this was modeled for me by one of the best men and ministers that I've ever met. It's a guy named Brian Greenfield. He's out of Louisiana. The dude is amazing. I yeah, love this guy awesome. to death. And yeah, and we were doing a Sumville conference, and he publicly, in front of just the speaking crew, repented of his desire to impress all of us and we talked it we've talked about it um me and him talked about it afterwards and i was like i was literally thinking not dear lord i need to repent of this but what prayer intention can i say that would impress these people <laughs> right like right and I, I i it's so stupid and so foolish and it's so subtle that when he sure. said that it drew my attention to the fact that i was like like what? What should I be praying for? Like just the Holy Spirit would move the teens into a great, you know. And you just get in these stupid modes, and it's right. the sinful self, it's the old self. But help them in that, right? So, Heavenly Father, we come before you today, uh, you know, and we ask that you give us your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of love and concern, so that we can see Christ in the poor. But Father, you know, so often we get in even our own ways. So remove from our hearts all that which is evil, and uh, you know would seek to draw attention to ourselves while we are in the midst of trying to serve you um, in the midst of the poor, whatever, you know what I mean? Like trying sure. to shape 
Um, cause it, it, it's one thing to do teachings, right? And sometimes people like when people give talks, their prayer, their closing prayer is actually another talk instead right. of just applying it, but really try to draw out that idea of repentance and take the lead on that as well. Like father, you know, so often, uh, you know, even though Christ revealed to us that the left hand should not know what the right is doing so often, I want praise for my acts of service drive from me, my arrogant pride and just call it what it is. Because I think sometimes, um, without, you know, we have the traditional like, oh, you should feel guilty and sinful. And a lot of people turn to social ministry because they don't want that Catholic guilt hang up. But this can be a perfect way of reintroducing a need for the for the risen Lord in their lives. Right. And like humbling yourself in front of them and inviting them to humble themselves, I think is always a, a perfect thing. And then piggybacking off of what he said, um, what Dave said about inviting them over for table fellowship, right? We're yeah. always looking to evangelize and we are evangelizing them. And one of the things that our blessed Lord did was he used table fellowship to evangelize, you know, the tax collectors, all that stuff. And I think of like many people on the left who are Catholics, who are deeply committed Catholic, but tend to align with the social approaches of many in the Democrat or liberal or progressive wings of our politics. Um, many of them, you know, they favor these programs and institutions, not because they're also pro-abortion and all this stuff, but they, they really do think the government can provide elements that just Christian charity can't do. And so from within that purview, sometimes they um, downplay other teachings or they dismiss other teachings in the church. And I think an excellent bridge is for you in your homilies and in your teachings to show how this all flows. Yep. From the one one gospel of Christ, because here's the other thing that they do: it is very easy to hate the rich. It is very easy to hate the rich, yeah. especially today. Um, it's easy to want to get in good with the rich, but it's very easy to hate the rich. That's socially acceptable, especially on the left, right? Eat the rich, despise the rich. They're right. the you know ones ruining everything. And wh who did Jesus meet with? Right. He met with tax collectors who right. were literally the richest people. He met with Pharisees. And in Luke's gospel, it talks about for Pharisees were lovers of money and many were very wealthy. Um, he says that right after in John or uh, in uh, Luke 16. And so um, going through people like having table fellowship, you could describe uh, Luke. I think it's Luke chapter 12, maybe where it starts to chapter 16, somewhere around there. It's like the table fellowship of Jesus versus the table fellowship of the Pharisees. And you can use that when you have people at meals, like bring up this stuff, like, you know, talk about how they're going out to the poor and the marginalized. Um, but, you know, Christ went after everyone. He went to the Pharisees house. He also had tax collectors, the rich and ill begotten gains and all that stuff. He went to them too and preached the gospel. Um, and so, you know, that's another, maybe an area where you can lead them into repentance. Yeah. I, I, I've worked in a, in a similar setting before. And I think um, one of the things that's great is do a lot of things that you agree on, do a lot of things that you agree yeah. on, you know, and, and so that you're, you're together a lot, you're with the, the, the uh, kind of the culture makers a lot and do a lot of those things so that you don't have any hint of conflict at the beginning, unless it, you need it. And sometimes you do. And if you do need it, uh, we can coach you through those conversations too, because we've had those. But one of the things that uh, you know I was able to do at one of these parishes was um, 
be really involved in the outreaches that they have and then just say to the leaders, like, look, and, and it was a frank conversation just like this. I know this isn't your thing, but, you know, I've come to everything that you've put on in the last year. And I was just wondering, you know, next week we have 40 days for life. Would you be interested in trying to get some of your people to come to that? And and here's here's why I say that. I'm not saying your your parish isn't pro-life or something like that, but oftentimes bringing them into issues that we agree on is like one of the places where they can say, oh yeah, people from 40 Days for Life come and help feed the poor and people from who are feeding the poor come and come to 40 Days for Life, right? So that they see that this is more seamless than it should, than it than they thought before. Uh starting to prove to them that it's a much more comprehensive belief, the idea of mercy, than just the rich versus the poor or or something like that. Um and and I think, Father, also um the idea that you know, getting across the idea that they can't be as effective as they could without Christ, without that passionate relationship with Christ, they're gonna have to see it in your own life, first of all. You know, they're gonna have to see that you are super effective in loving the poor because you allow Christ to love you. Um, and I think that they they will slowly get this. I mean, I do this with my kids, right? What, what you're going to do in the beginning is my, kids kids and people pick up on facial cues. They pick up on everything, right? And so, like, there are things that my kids are allowed to do that I maybe would rather they not do, right? And then there are things that I really want them to do that they can tell from my face that, yeah, I'm really supporting this. I think this is really great. It's going to build virtue. It's going to be do all those things. You can do that with, with your parishioners as well, right? That you can say like, yeah, that's great that you do it. And then when they come to you with an idea that's like, yeah, this is awesome. you know. And I, I guarantee you what will happen is as you gain credibility in their eyes, one of them will come to you and they'll say something like this. Hey, would you come and talk to us about your experience on this mission trip, or would you come and talk to us about prayer or or some kind of uh, benign topic? And that's when you know, okay, I can really start to start to work with this because these people trust me. They're bringing me in on their own. I'm not having to kind of nose my way in, and, and I'm ready to start to to start really making some moves here as far as evangelization. I love how strategic you're being, Dave. What? Well, I love this that. Is, this no, is I my think thing. I, I like. Yeah. I like parish transformation, you know, and I and I really don't like parish transformation from programmatic standpoints because you're just hammering a square into a round peg. All the programs out there do that. And I think what you have to do is come in and as a person interpersonally see what the culture is and do your best to evangelize each person and meet them on their level. And the only way to do that, I think, is with strategy. Yeah, I, I also love how you butchered the quote. A square what? peg in a round oh, hole, where you said hammer a square into a round peg. <laughs> oh man, that is my yeah. life right there. <laughs> I have to write things. I can't be talking like this I, freely. That's crazy. I, I know, but no, the the strategic. Okay, let's step back and it, let's examine this from a strategic leadership perspective, right? So the most important thing is leading by example, right? And and Dave laid that out in spades, right? If you're going to have credibility with them, they have to see you. They have to work elbow to elbow with you. That establishes your leadership. Remember that as a priest, this is a thing that most priests, in fact, most humans, quickly forget that positional leadership is the lowest form of leadership that's out there, right? The currency of a yeah. true leader yeah. is the currency that they deal in, that you deal in, 
right, is your influence. And the lowest level of your influence is, well, you know what? I'm the priest, I'm the so do what I say. Yeah. Right. When you leverage your position in the organization or, you know, your holy office in the organization of the church, that's when you know you have failed in your other areas, at least in their eyes, because you're trying to influence them to do something, and then finally you're going to order it. And that's true in parish life. That's true with... um Within the military, like uh, Jocko Willink, he does, he writes these books on leadership and he was a Navy SEAL and he was all of it. He says, you know, people think in the military, yeah, well, that's fine for you in the military. You're, you know, you're, you're under orders. Like you have to do it. And he's like, it's the same thing. Like no one is more stubborn than a U.S. soldier, sure. a 19 year old U.S. soldier who has a gun. You think he's going to listen to you because you have a couple bars on your chest? He's like, it doesn't happen. They're not robots. They're still persons. And so the idea around what you need to do is really double down on your leadership by example. You're, you're leading by serving. The Son of Man came into the world to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. For, for some people, the path to that ransomed uh, life through Christ is through the service. And that's beautiful. You know, a lot of people were converted to communism in um, the 50s in the UK, not because of the ideology. They couldn't care less about the ideology. Right. It was the communists organizing a protest of a landlord because he booted out an elderly woman who missed a payment. Right. And it, it's stuff like that. And it, and it was when the people looked at the communists who they you know hated or were prejudiced against and then saw that they were taking 80 percent of their paycheck and reinvesting it into the Communist Party and reinvesting it into the neighborhood and trying to they were doing like a reverse tie. They weren't giving away 10 and living on 90. They were giving away 90 and living on 10. Right. And to see that it was like this witness that the average worker in you know a slum tenant in the 40s or 30s or whatever couldn't resist they were like okay these people are preaching and living it and their preaching comes from their living it so that is the most important leadership lesson i can give you if you're looking at all this all the strategy that dave came out with comes from a heart both frightened and free Ooh, that's terrible i know you're right uh comes from a heart that it says i'm willing to lead right. from in front and i'm willing to lead from behind i'm willing to go wherever i need to be to show these people i'm in it with them i'm in it for them and the for them part when they buy into you that's when you say guys we really need to ground this in prayer what what does it mean to love one another as i have loved you if the spirit of jesus christ doesn't dwell within you if he is just a teacher, then you've missed salvation. If he is a savior, then this work that we're doing is part of the message of salvation. But right now, you're living your life as if it's instead of the message of salvation, or you only believe in an earthly form of salvation and liberation, right? Christ wants to give us full and complete liberation. That starts with feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting the imprisoned and the sick, but it culminates in right? Bringing your heart in silence before the throne of God. Helping people see that is, it, it starts, I, I, Dave, I cannot emphasize enough how your strategy is so awesome, but it starts within that leadership model that you gave, like build the bridges before you demand yeah. that they walk across the river, right? Yeah. Build the bridges first. And you know what? I was thinking as Gomer was talking, um, a good, a good transition is to just constantly make comments like, I love how you guys help the poor. I mean, that's what the kingdom is all about. If they start thinking about like the kingdom, right? Uh, 
Because you can then make that transition to like, hey, well, we're missing some of the kingdom here. You know, we're missing. There are people who aren't part of this. And there are people who just like the kingdom for the services they provide. And there are people who like the church for this and for that. I just think there's so many bridges that you can start you can start to build and 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 if you build them strategically from the beginning, the conversation is going to be a lot easier. I also would be be um, very excited for you to just like say to specific groups, and this is what I used to have my pastor do, uh, not that I was in charge, but I kind of think I'm always in charge um, is, I would just say to like specific groups, like, Hey, uh, I know you guys meet on Tuesday nights. Would you like me to come and hear confessions before for the first half hour, you know, for the half hour before your meeting or something like that, just for your group. So you guys don't have to wait in line. Just little, little things like that can key people off to saying like, huh, you know, he's interested in us for other reasons too. So I, I, father, I'm, I'm excited. And I hope, I hope what you'll do is implement some of these, implement the things that the Holy Spirit's been put on your heart and that you'll report back and let us know how this is going. Cause we want to hear more about it and, and see how this is going. But honestly, if I were you, I love the active parishes that are, that even if they're, even if maybe their ideology and their faith is not in the right place, um, which I'm not saying that, that that's your parish, but it could be, um, if they're active, something is going on. There's a hunger in their heart and and you just got to harness that hunger and show them that it reflects the the real hunger which is uh to be known and loved and saved by Jesus Christ. Oh man, that is awesome. And now now in your uh, in your uh clerical role you can begin to dream of serving this community through the liturgy, through yeah. sacraments, through prayer. So then you can say, "Hey, let's rally the troops. We're going to do a holy hour of hope for the homeless." Yeah. Hey, let's oh, bring people idea. out good and idea. let's do an all-night vigil for racial injustice. Oh man, that's hey, awesome! Right, and it's funny because at three o'clock they concluded at my parish. I think they're doing a Divine Mercy Chaplet. Within, we did an all-day day of prayer for racial healing in the church or in the in the country. And we're doing that from 10 to 3, a holy hour, right? So it's not like we have to let the world set the standard for how Christians respond. We can come alongside and see the good, you know, the the seeds of glory scattered in the world. And we can gather those up and bring them into the kingdom. And we can baptize them and anoint them and let them flourish, right, within the kingdom. And uh, I love that idea also of recontextualizing everything within the kingdom, right? You can't have a kingdom without a king, right? What's the point of serving your neighbor, right? Um, if you're not in that, right? Because a lot of times, uh, I keep coming back to this. This is why I was saying this. I keep coming back to an argument I had with someone where I was much younger. I was probably like maybe 20. I was in an argument with someone who was like, I'm doing what Jesus wants. You're just talking about Jesus. Like, you know, with your doctrines and your dogmas and your exclusivity, I'm just serving the poor. Like, I'm doing the real thing. And it's like, but Jesus cared about truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that truth should lead everyone who is obedient to the truth, should lead everyone to love their neighbor as themselves. Right. So awesome. we keep dividing and it's probably based on our personalities. You know, it's probably based on our temperaments and our how we were raised, uh, our political affiliations, where I first envision my discipleship. So for me, my first step in discipleship was pro-life stuff. My first step in discipleship was learning. It was an intellectual conversion. And that is not forsaken by Christ. Like Christ wants people yeah. to to know him. And to love him, for this is eternal life, to know Christ Jesus. 
And the idea of helping people understand the way the fellowship and the service flows from the Eucharistic community, right, which is the kingdom of God on earth. That that is that is unmistakably powerful and yeah. just constantly reaffirming it's the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Oh, and by the way, to reconcile you to the kingdom, guess what? I'm gonna be offering confessions at the soup kitchen. Tell tell those who are coming if they're Catholic, I'll be there. Because I'll tell you this much when we serve the men in prison that our society hates because these are the violent offenders, right? Like even people on the left, right? Oh, let all the drug users go who are being convicted. They didn't do any violent offense. Well, I work with the violent offenders serving three life sentences, Jeez. right? Like I do, I get to do stuff with them. And, you know, and one of my favorite images is uh, a former Yakuza gang member on his knees in front of a priest, Going to confession for the first time in like 40 years. He's an elderly dude. I mean, think about what that does. Yeah. I, another 17-year-old meth head discharged a firearm when got in a fight with his girlfriend. And it, it went through the neighbor's house and killed their infant in the crib. And the judge, you know, sees this kid. He's a drug addict. He's all this horrible stuff. So he sentences him to life. He's 17 years old, a drug addict, Ugh. not even paying attention. It wasn't malicious. But now the, his whole life is gone from the age of 17. So now, you know, I encounter him in prison and he goes to confession. What do you think that does as a 72 year old man being able to go to confession and take all of the burdens and all the hatred and violence he's felt over his life and the despair and to hand them to a priest? Yeah. Right. That's also kingdom work. And if you can begin to associate in their minds the sacramental life with the service life. I, I I honestly believe people who are willing to serve when they will come to the Lord in prayer and worship and in the sacraments, I think they have the potential to truly be a like to truly be saints. Whereas people like me who tend to make everything intellectual and we live our faith kind of in our minds or just with my domestic church. My domestic church does not involve my neighbors. It's just me and my wife who sometimes remember to pray together. Right. Like that's not enough. Like Christ does call us to go and do these works of mercy. So, uh, Father Timothy, I hope this stuff helps. And when we come back, we're going to do a quick break. Um, hear the good message, the good word from our friends over at Ascension. I just want to say a special thanks to Ascension, whose online streaming has enabled my parish uh, adult faith formation programs to keep going. And um, it was awesome. So they do Zoom small groups after they stream their own personal videos and all that stuff. So um, please pay attention to this uh, coming commercial. And then if you have a question of your own, like Father Timothy's here, email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com, eksb at ascensionpress.com. And we'll be sure to hook you up with our answers, maybe in the middle of a fancy show like this. Two thousand years ago, Jesus Christ chose corrupt, broken, imperfect, sinful men to be the foundation of his church. And because these broken, imperfect men chose to remain in relationship with Jesus, they became saints. And they were used by Jesus to transform hearts and minds two thousand years later. I invite you to check out my book, Broken and Blessed where you'll find practical tools to overcome habitual sin, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and to walk with an imperfect church toward a perfect God who is calling all of us to perfection over time.
To order the paperback book or audiobook, Broken and Blessed, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, Ascension Press, for sponsoring this show. Here is our five practical takeaways. Number one, leadership. Look to the biggest or most important service work that's going on by your church and join it ASAP, but here's the caveat, as just another member. And do not try to take over or assume leadership roles or sit anywhere in the front. And also, Father, be conscious that your priestly role and vocation can automatically shift the balance of power in the room. So just be aware, you're there to serve. You're there just to be another member, elbow to elbow with everyone else. Socially distant, of course. (laughs) socially distant. Number two, uh, we talked about the importance of liturgy, right? Just getting across to them, like how important it is. So look for things like dedication masses, confessions, confession times, adoration, things that can be incorporated into meetings, events, service opportunities. Just look for some opportunity where you can say, hey, what if we did this? What if we came a little bit early and I had mass for you guys? What if we came a little bit uh, early and I had confessions? Or, Or look for ways to try and get liturgy in there. That's awesome. Number three is language. We want you to transition to the idea of works of mercy. So maybe one way you can do this is plan a homily series, a month of homilies around the idea of works of mercy and try to incarnate it into things like the bulletin, emails, newsletters, website, overhaul it with this new and very biblical language. And don't let the cultural language kind of set the tone for everything else. Awesome. Number four, hospitality. Always so important. Uh, In the next two weeks, this is hard, okay? In the next two weeks, try to reach out to someone in leadership of the social ministries that you are kind of looking at right now and invite them to a meal. Now, either you could prepare the meal or you can take them out, but invite them in, share a meal with them, and ask them about their ministry. Ask them about the apostolate that they lead and, and truly go as a student to learn. That's awesome. And finally, number five, witness, witness this week, sometime this week, make sure you share your own witness about how your personal prayer life, not just the liturgical stuff that you lead, but in your own way, how you are praying and how that relates to not just having the strength to serve Christ in the least, but also how it reorients your intentions, your priorities, uh, and connecting and flowing from that relationship with Christ that you have. How does your interior life come before your exterior service, right? Mary before Martha. Am I right? Am I right? Am I I right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, everyone. This has been a show. EKSB, we love to be here with you. We love your emails because we always want to keep evangelization practical, not bound up in people's heads, loving your neighbor by spreading the gospel. So thank you all for listening. Be sure to, if you like this podcast, head on over to iTunes or go into your Apple podcast or your Google play store, wherever you listen to this and make sure you give us a a good rating and write a review that helps get the old algorithms spreading out. So people can hear the gospel of Christ and, uh, and learn how to share it with others. Great. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. God bless. God bless. Bye. 